garden help you need now mid-south gardening powered by palladio home and garden with your hosts veda vance kenneth mabry and jim crowder good morning good morning mid-south gardeners and welcome to mid-south gardening i'm veda vance with palladio and i'm kenneth mabry with dan west garden centers i'm the other guy jim crowder the other one the other one the good guy there you go. Hey, it's a little chilly this morning. Yes, it is, but no frost, thank heavens. We had enough wind that wasn't any. Yesterday morning, it was 39 degrees, and when mm-hmm. I turned the windshield wipers on, froze up yep. immediately. Yep. Really? Yep. Same thing happened to me. I didn't yeah. have that. That's weird. You must be parking under a shed. Well, you need to get up earlier. Maybe that was it. <laughs> Something. <laughs> I mean, it happened more than one time this, get this past week. get in the car earlier. That's it. Yeah. You know, last week we had I had four nights in a row where it got to thirty three degrees, mm-hmm. but just had minimal frost damage. Yeah, that I mean, was, it, I, I had to get the credit card out, and it was yeah. you know just to get the windshield cleaned off. You mean I mean, you pay somebody to do it at no, five in the morning. That's why you had the credit card. Out? <laughs> I had to get the credit card out, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, but still, I mean, we're and even my, in my backyard. You know how your Bermuda grass starts to take those patterns yeah. when some of it's starting yeah. to die out. I'm like. Okay, maybe I don't have to cut this grass anymore. Are you sure? I'm yeah. pretty sure. Mine's over. You know? Yeah. yeah. So uh, well, that's, yeah, that's always a good thing. I think. Now, oh, I was thinking yesterday, why in the world was I starting in September going, it's fall, y'all? Well, it was. <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's not in but it's Memphis, over now. you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But this is fall to me. Because oh, yeah. this is when the leaves start falling. Well, fall to me is when you wake up and you bundle up, and by noon, you know, you're back in shorts and a t-shirt. Right. You know, that's... That's our fall. That's the Memphis fall. God, never But at fails. least it's not snowing like it is in other areas. Yeah. I mean, I was <clears throat> watching that on the news, and it was going to be a pretty day here in Memphis, and I thought... We are so fortunate to be able to get up and just go garden today yeah. or, or be outside. I mean, when it's snowing there, their season's done. Yeah, but you can still, <laughs> I mean, to me, this is still, you know, you can still put pansies in the ground. Yes. You can still put ornamental cabbage in pots. You can still plant bulbs coming up around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. You still plant all the trees and shrubs. I mean, right. this is still the perfect growing and planting season. And a near perfect year for color. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm Absolutely just now noticing, and, and Jim, I say I'm just not noticing. Remember, we talked about it last mm-hmm. weekend where I saw a pear tree. You know, half of it was red and the yeah. other half was green. And Jim explained why. But now I'm starting to see more uniform mm-hmm. color out there, whether it's dogwoods, mm-hmm. even crepe myrtles. I mean, and they're beautiful even, this time of yeah. year. A lot of them are. Yeah, and the oaks, the red oaks, yeah. great red color. Boy, it is wonderful. But, um, wasn't there one year where we had gorgeous color and it rained and turned cold and was real windy and you get up the next morning and the leaves are gone they're not on the tree anymore well people like that they like those leaves to come down all at one time yeah. a lot of people do and it was like there went the fall color just right there on the ground and we're done you know and i was reading uh i made a comment last night about mushrooms you know how it seems like this fall whatever we call fall, right, mm-hmm. that a lot of people are coming to the garden center either with pictures or talking about mushrooms growing in their lawn. Still, people yeah. just don't realize how good they right, are. Right, right. <laughs> so I was doing some reading last night, uh, Veda, and we'll talk about this more mm-hmm. a little bit more uh, later on. But like you said, m- seeing mushrooms growing in your lawn is not necessarily a bad thing at all. Mm-hmm. It just means you have a lot of active mycorrhiza 
uh, out there, which is a beneficial fungi, right? So when you see the mushroom, really all you're seeing is the fruiting head yeah. of that fungi, right? Mm-hmm. But it was pretty interesting. Uh, what I was reading last night, it says mushrooms are going to grow from woody material. Right. You know, whether it's broken down roots, limbs, even leaves to a lot of extent. So what you can do besides going out there and nuking your yard with a fungicide, you mm-hmm. know, which you shouldn't do if you see mushrooms growing anyway, is next time you're cutting your lawn, say next year, two or three, four times, instead of bagging the grass clippings, you know, just mulch mm-hmm. them in. Because they say, if, you know, because uh, grass clippings are more bacterial mm-hmm. on the bacterial side. That's what breaks those down. And, of course, the fungi is breaking the, the woody leaves down. So if you get a neutral balance out there, mm-hmm. you're not going to have a lot of mushrooms growing in your lawn. Something as simple as just don't bag your clippings yeah. for a minute, you know? Well, it kind of sounds like when you're making compost, the green and the brown, yeah. and yeah. it'll compost down. It's pretty cool, though. I was like, hmm, That is okay. pretty interesting. You know, so what just, about using the um, soil activator, the dethatcher, the humic acid? Oh, sure. That, I mean, anything. Oh, aid, but still need to leave your grass clippings. Well, and that will help yeah. break down the grass clippings also. Yeah, yeah. But they said there are over 50,000 types of mushrooms know, out there. I know. And only, you know, 2% are, are toxic. Yeah. Uh, now, the caviar is, though, if you have pets... You know, a lot of these dogs, you know, some more than others, will eat any mushroom that's growing in your lawn. Wow. I'm because glad it, I didn't have that one. They will. I mean, they'll <laughs> just eat anything, including mushrooms. Uh, and it can be, if they eat enough, I mean, it can be somewhat toxic to a, to an animal. So, you know, that's why a lot of times people go out there and rake them over, knock them mm-hmm. down, whatever. So, but, I mean, I, even myself, I had a lot of mushroom growth in my front yard this year because I do grind the leaves up every mm-hmm. fall. So I, did you want to go out and eat some? No, yeah. I didn't, Jim, okay. but, I, but I'm, you know what? I'm like, I'm saying, okay, I always bag my grass on my mm-hmm. front and side yards, and I never bag it in the back, okay? I don't have mushrooms growing in my backyard. They're, all, they're just in the front right. yard. All right, let me blow your theory all to pieces. Oh, God. Go I never bag mine because I have somebody mow it, and he doesn't bag, but I had mushrooms all over the place this year. Hmm. So there. <laughs> <laughs> You're just an oddity. You just sit there to wait to bust our, to give. No, I'm still going to try it, though, Jim. I'm yeah, try well, it. it's worth a shot. Yeah. But does it make sense, though? It said if you get a neutral balance out there between the the fungi, which is the bacterium, uh, and which is the uh, mushroom, and then the bacterium that's breaking the grass clippings down. Uh, now, of course, when the mm-hmm. conditions are right, you're still going to see moisture, high yeah. humidity, those kind of things. So you're, you're still going to reduce see. the population, definitely. Yeah, so much right. Well, it's amazing what mushrooms do in the ecosystem. I mean, you have to have mushrooms in part of your ecosystem. And I've even seen, because you like mushrooms, Jim, don't you? Uh, um, I mean, you pit, oh, take pictures of them. I love I don't mean the, the fact yeah. that they're so diverse. Yeah. Well, and that's so, what yeah. made me start reading about this last night was a guy came into the garden center mm-hmm. and he's got a piece of property up around the Tennessee river. And he showed me, uh, he was taking pictures of these mushrooms. He, they, they mm-hmm. just fascinate him. Uh, and it was like 10 or 15 different varieties just right here that on this he little had. plot of land that wow. he had. Mm-hmm. Some of them are bright red, some of them were blue. Uh, and then of course the whites and the browns. And, um, it, I was like, just, you know, there's so many out there in this small little area. And he said he ate one of them, which, you know, I didn't get he into did. it with him, but I was <laughs> yeah, like, don't. yeah, I don't what? recommend that for anyone. <laughs> but, um, you know, the only thing was 
some people love to see them. They love going out there taking pictures of them, like Jim just said. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't like a mushroom one in their yard. But if you come up with that natural balance, uh, you know, hopefully you won't see as many. Uh, we, I mean, mushrooms are pretty. It's like we've got mushrooms in ceramic, mushrooms in, um, you know, just the, the look. The look of mushrooms, people like to use them in their fairy garden or, or uh, display or sitting on your counter Which even. is why we have fairy rings of mushrooms. Right. Yeah, and they did mention uh-huh. when I was reading that last night. I mean, that's a little different. It is. There are about 40 different funguses that are associated with fairy ring. Right. And it's so odd because some of them will make the grass inside the ring grow better. Mm. Some of them make it stunt the grass. Uh, some of them will affect, like Bermuda, inhibit it where it doesn't bother zoysia or vice versa. So it's it's just really unusual how they, they in fact, there's some in the park across the street from my house, there's some huge ones that are 20 foot around. And really what you're seeing is just this ring of mushrooms, right. which is, you know, an indication that you could have fairy ring out mm-hmm. there. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, it comes from the fact that when these things showed up many, many hundreds of years ago, they weren't there one day they're there the next and that was just amazing to people and they figured that fairies dance there during the night Uh, yeah so um, it's pretty cool sounds like a good explanation to me all right so see there are fairies then (laughs) but i don't know why you know and i'm I'm like everybody else i mean if i see a mushroom or mushrooms growing in my front yard i mean the first thing i go out there and just start kicking the things down (laughs) Uh, and, you know, I don't know why. It's I mean, part of his anger management yeah, program. Right. Thank you, Jim. When I used to, my grandparents, we always went for walks in the woods and stuff. They were just doing, you know, behind their house, just doing stuff to uh, keep me busy. And I really remember where I went running through the woods kicking mushrooms, and grandmother and granddaddy were like, why, why would you do that? Yeah. Why would you kick a mushroom down, you know? And uh, so I learned to respect nature real early learned a lot about well i always um, saw them as it cycles work. yeah and i always saw them as abnormal and that's mm-hmm. why you know in my yard yeah uh and just somewhere in the back of my head never thinking about it thinking you know this can't be a good thing but it, it's not it's not a bad thing at all it's just if you don't like the way they look knock them over rake them over uh if if you understand that you have you have healthy soil out there and that's why you're seeing these mushrooms mm-hmm. leave them alone you know well we can do that I like to take photos of them. But anyway, we do need to go to a break, and uh, we'd like y'all to give us a call, 844-747-8868. And uh, if you can't pick us up well, you can go to kwamradio.com. We're streaming live there. Yep. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 844-747-8868, or stream us online at kwamradio.com. Yep, on your local number, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. Or, of course, you can go to the Almighty 990 and see Veda Live. That's what I yep, like about it. See me alive. Yeah. <laughs> see you alive. I'm alive. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Well, let me say what this real quick. For? You know, oh, uh, for all the Memphis fans out there, there's mm-hmm. a football game on today, 11 o'clock. Okay. And there's a basketball game on y'all tonight at 6 o'clock. I'm sorry that you have to Two. be in the garden. Love it. <laughs> Love it. What? Are there sports going on now? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm kidding. I do like to watch the sports. What about, it's camellia time. I guess mm-hmm. it's been bloom. They've, it's, they've been blooming some, but now I'm seeing them just pop out beautifully. Yeah, mine are 
considerably later this year than they have been. That's what do you think, Jim? Thinking. I mean, it's got to be weather. It has to be. Well, yeah, I'm guessing, yeah. But it's, uh, I usually have sparkling burgundy in bloom by the end of September. You know, we talked about just about two weeks ago through its first one. Yeah. Was it maybe because we had some cooler weather up and down throughout the season? But no, it wasn't long enough. Maybe it means that it's going to snow this year. <laughs> you know what? I think I, the first time in my life after last year what we had, you know, it'd be fine if we don't see any snow. No, this year. I want that again. I do want that. You know, it snowed yesterday, a year ago, it snowed here. It did. I know. I'm thinking. The what? reason I remember that is because I had He's a doc- lost his money. I had a doctor's appointment at uh, at Crosstown Crossing and uh, mm-hmm. was there when beautiful snow crossed it. It was just light. Didn't wow. last too long. Is gone by ten o'clock or well, so. Well, that's depressing. Yeah. I know. Just may as well not even. <laughs> it's just going to go away. That's like I don't like it. You wake up and it's rainy and cool and cloudy. And then about four hours later, it's sunny. I don't like it when the days switch like that. But you're right. I, I think, you know, we've always said that I always thought that camellias were underplanted. And and I still mm-hmm. really, in a sense, think they, they are. Still well, are. they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to tell you guys, I mean, it, it they are great evergreen shrubs. I mean, even to me when they're not blooming, whether it's a Sanquas or Japonicos or hybrids, whatever, they, they're still good-looking shrubs. Uh, and the beauty is, you know, you get a wonderful bloom from them. You know, think about it this way. You know how many azaleas you see here in Memphis? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're like the azalea capital of the world, really, if you think about it. <laughs> and most of your traditional azaleas bloom that one time in the spring. That's, that's what we love about them, right? And then the encores, of course, bloom more than once. But what's the difference between the classification of a one-time bloom like an azalea mm-hmm. and a one-time bloom like a camellia? Right. I mean, no different. No. We could be seeing as many camellias as we see azaleas uh, now. That's my point. Yeah. You know? That's a good point. I guess... Um, Price has something to do That's with it. That's what I was going to say. slower growing, you know. Yeah. People look at shrubs and they think, well, you know, that seems like a lot for that. But it all mm-hmm. has to do with how much time it takes to produce it. Right. And you can't speed up these things a whole lot. You so, don't want that to happen, right. You know, yeah. So, you know, it just to get a camellia of any size, it's uh, it's going to be considerably more expensive mm-hmm. than azalea the same size. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're just slower growing. Kind of like a boxwood. Right, think about just that. Just slower growing. And, and many of the... Many of the varieties are grafted, uh, not as many now as used to be, but, you know, it takes time. You have to grow the seedling up, then cut then cut it off, graft onto it, then grow the graft. So there's just extra time in production of these things. And what do you think about growing camellias in containers? Well, I think it's... If, if it, it's, it's a big enough container. If, mm-hmm. yeah, if it's a big container, it's still iffy, yeah. okay? Um even the hardiest of the camellias are zone six or so, mm-hmm. you know, up to about St. Louis. But when you put it in a container, you pretty much, as they say, re- reduce it by two zones. Yeah, because it's not in mm-hmm. the ground. It's not insulated right. in the ground. And that, that's the issue. If it dry freezes, you know, and people just don't mm-hmm. think about getting out there and watering mm-hmm. in the middle of the wintertime, you know. But if you've had cold winds across it and it's gone a week without water, it can suffer serious damage. Now, it'll leaf out in the spring just fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got mm-hmm. carbohydrates stored in it, come out, maybe bloom, look good, and then all of a sudden it collapses, and you think, you know. What did I just what do? Did I what did I do to it? And it died months back. You just hadn't 
weren't aware of it yet. Well, the reason I said that is because I do still see and hear quite a few people putting camellias Mm -hmm. in containers. Yeah. Um, But I'm like you. I tell them. I mean, first of all, the container needs to be big enough to insulate the root system. Yeah, exactly. You know, no doubt about it. Um, Because if we have a winter like we did last year, Mm -hmm. where the temperatures were down basically to zero for a week, think about it. Uh, a lot of things were damaged even that were planted in the ground. I mean, and especially a lot of things were damaged that were planted above ground in containers. So it's not that you can't do it. I still see a lot of people do it, but you just have to pay a little more attention to that plant if it's in a container. Right. Like Jim said, even if it's windy and dry Mm -hmm. in the winter, Mm -hmm. moist soil is a better insulator than Mm -hmm. dry soil in a container. Yeah. I'm sorry. uh, Go ahead. Also, uh, Randy Moskowitz had... Everything was containers, and he had camellias in them, and they did really well, but it was in a micro-environment as well right? because it was under trees, a big canopy of trees. The containers are sitting by a pool, which means it was getting that warmth, reflective heat, plus it was sitting by a wall. So in that micro-environment, the um, containers wouldn't—I mean, maybe even a degree— or a half a degree helps, yeah. oh, not it, a half it, a degree. It, it would know. make a big difference. Yeah, so— um, but I wo- I've always wondered what would have had happened to them if last they were just winter. Setting out, yeah, or last know, winter in the yeah. container. I wonder mm-hmm. what would have happened. But that's just how it goes in gardening. It's like you can't not plant a camellia for that one freeze in fifteen years. You know. Yeah, and that's what happened. You know, we lost so many of them back in the mid '80s, and people just didn't replant them. You know. Mm-hmm. Midtown, where there was that one or two degree difference, a lot of big ones made it. But you didn't have to get much far outside the loop, and a lot of them died. Yeah, you You know, know, even well-established trees. There used to be a Camellia Society that was like all that. I mean, it was a thing. Oh yeah, everybody had slat houses and for protection. Yeah, Yeah. and it it was great. Well, can't we say though? Lucky enough to be around then. Yeah. Were you? It was no lucky enough to still be around you. Yeah, can we say <laughs> right. that between the Sasanquas, uh, the hybrids, and the Japonicas, the hybrids and the Sasanquas are probably a little more winter hardy than even the J- the Japonicas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are joining us this morning. Give us a call, 844-747-8868. Stream us online at Radio KWAM, radio.com. You can see all of our prior broadcasts there, podcasts you can listen to in your spare time and learn all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, and then uh, the Mighty 990 on Facebook Live, guys, they can shoot us a text that way, which a lot of people do. And then Mm -hmm. please join our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, where you can post and brag and ask questions. And uh, and we have a bazillion good expert gardeners on there who will give you an answer in just a few moments. And also, I got a text in from Deborah. Uh, she said, colors are not great in Ohio this year. Really? Everything is brown. Um, hardly, Early freeze. Hardly any red this year. So... 
Um, Deborah, you know, if she would just pack up and move to Memphis, Tennessee, she yeah. could see these beautiful colors down here. But we do appreciate the text. I so, just, I'd just come visit for a little while and move further yeah. south. <laughs> right. Oh, Is that yeah. What you would do, Jim? <laughs> yeah. Yesterday in the garden center, I had uh, car- uh, reggae or Caribbean music or however you want to play it or call it. Just thinking, man, I wish I was on the beach right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But no, actually, I'm really glad I'm here because when I go to Florida to visit my son after Christmas, it really feels bizarre Mm. because it's, you know, I'm leaving a nice cold area and then going to Florida at the beach going, I feel so strange. But anywho. um, But also around seven o'clock, guys, we've got some uh, visitors coming by to talk about some, uh, well, they're Memphis area master gardeners, to talk about the Memphis area master gardener calendar they put out every year. Uh, and I won't go any further than that. I'll let them do all the talking, but uh, this is a must-have for any You're going to let somebody do all the talking? Yeah. All the talking. This is going to be good. Mark, mark this date on your calendar there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sweet <laughs> Kenneth. Sweet, sweet Kenneth. So, Deborah, I hate that you don't have the colors in Ohio this year, but all that's weather-related. Mm-hmm. I mean, some years no. they're wonderful, and some years not so no. good. Because you said, what was it? The, or they had an early freeze early that freeze, caused... Yeah. It just that, uh, shut just it down. I yeah. got you. It just shuts it down. Well, fine then. We have those uh, winters as well. Okay, so what else? What else are well, we doing this week? Well, the other thing we're doing this week is we're trying to figure out how to control bamboo. Oh, aren't uh, we? <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and y'all, it, some people come into the garden center almost in tears. I'm, I'm telling mm-hmm. you. It's not that they planted the bamboo. It's the neighbor behind them that planted the bamboo. It seems like that's always the case, right? And they are just, they've been fighting this bamboo forever. And they'll come in and go, you know, what do I do? Get a panda. Yeah, that's what Claire said. (laughs) You know, just tie that, stake that thing out there, let it eat all the uh, bamboo. Then we would have to start planting more to keep the panda. (laughs) But y'all, it it can be such a problem. Um, You know, and there's, there's no great solutions other than just digging it up and throwing it in a you know a, a and then that's not a solution it, as long as there is an existing stand yeah you there's no way you're going to stop it no and now you know you can read and i've read about putting down underground barriers mm-hmm. you know you dig a trench at least 18 20 inches deep and put it with you know sacrete concrete uh you know plexiglass whatever and, and, and Jim, that will help the encroachment. I mean, that will definitely that, that will stop it. Yeah, and, but you know, it can grow around it. Yes, you know, it's not going to go under it usually. But normally, I would tell people four feet, <laughs> not go to go down four feet. Go down to four feet. You know, and when you do it, mm. you put slant it towards your house. So when the shoots hit it, they go upwards instead of growing downwards towards. Uh, and underneath it, yeah, and, and but then sometimes how feasible really is it for you it, to go out there and tough. dig a trench, yeah. you know, in your backyard, right, basically right there on the on the boundary line, uh, to keep your neighbor's bamboo from encroaching. Uh, yeah, in there's your a there's a guy over in Chickasaw Gardens here who has some of that like six inch bamboo, the that, real bamboo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this stuff, you know, and it grows to sixty seventy feet tall yeah. just you know practically overnight but when he first planted it he had that problem it would uh, you know it came up through his driveway and then came up over Goodness. in the neighbor's yard yeah. and so he he actually did go in and just remove the soil built a barrier that was like six feet deep 
uh, and it's a perfect circular area where this mm-hmm. bamboo comes back every year, and yeah. it's spectacular. Beautiful, mm-hmm. if you can keep it where but, you want it. you know, he spent a small fortune to, yeah. to make that happen. And then what, if you're good with it, and get, I can see me doing that. Well, I can see somebody else doing it, but I can <laughs> see me wanting to do that. Yeah. But it's uh, it's it sounds like it's a huge project. If you really think about it, it's doable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there are some clumping bamboos that are suitable mm-hmm. for, for homeowners. Uh, you know, now, of course, if you plant it right on your property line, it's going to come up real quickly on the other side. But, uh, you know, if you're back 15, 20 feet away from your property line, it's probably not in your mm-hmm. lifetime ever going to get over there well, uh, and, to your neighbor. And then other than the underground barrier, I mean, the other angles, which a lot of people do, is they'll just cut it down in the spring. Just mow it off. Yeah. That's, that's the best thing. To yeah, because bamboo is a type of grass, believe it or not. Um, and as it regrows... Uh, go out there and selectively spray with a you know a Roundup type mm-hmm. product or even a brush killer. In fact, I know a lot of people that alternate between the two. Well, you know, and I recommend people combine the two. And I've probably told this story before, but we used to have a sales meeting every year up on the Red River, just near Heber Springs. And one of the guys that would come every year just to go trout fishing was the head chemist for Ortho. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, our conversations he found the only thing that they found that would control bamboo was a combination of roundup glyphosate and triclopyr which is the brush color. right uh and it do, does a pretty good job you know it's going to take multiple applications it will. But, but you're going to have to spray the entire batch okay you know um which is, you know, if it's on your neighbor's property, they may or may not appreciate that. Right, right. And, of <laughs> so. course, there's the, and I've heard good results, and maybe it's the type of bamboo, that when the new little shoots come up, they just stomp on them. Just break they them. They just break them off. That's all right. If you just mow them off, they're not going to grow up, you know. It's, gr- plants grow right at the tip, not at the base. Mm-hmm. So, right, you know, yeah. it's not, if you break the tip off, it isn't going to continue to grow up without a tip. Well, yeah. <laughs> this, this lady was almost in tears. I mean, it got to a point where it was just invading her back property and she had beautiful beds back there. Um, and of course, this stuff was just coming up everywhere in those beds. And I said, you know, initially you might have to just start over, get everything out of the beds, dig all this stuff up, get an underground barrier or have your neighbors put one down or both of y'all mm-hmm. put one down. Uh, I said, other than that, you know, it's just a, it's going to be just some spot treating, you know, well, with I'm with going the to use them at a house in Arbortown, but I'm putting them in containers. Oh, because I love it. Because yeah, it's going to be the same. I mean, you can either pay to build the barrier or pay to get you some nice, heavy, big containers. And yeah. I was, and I was yeah. telling you all the story last year about, you know, chameleon plant, you know, how it's just, it would take over anything and everything. Mm-hmm. In fact, it would take over the world if you let yeah. it. <laughs> Uh, kind of like bamboo. And I was at this gentleman's house that had a circular driveway. And Jim invaded within that circular driveway. He had this huge, you know, uh, raised planter, okay? Just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it was just the inside of the circle driveway is what it was. And inside of this was the chameleon plant. Uh, and it was absolutely drop dead great looking. But it was confined. It couldn't go anywhere else. Yeah. And in that situation, I was like, that is a perfect plant. It had a big Japanese maple in the center of it, okay? Oh, that sounds beautiful. Beautiful, it really was. And, the, and this raised bed was about, you know, it's about five foot tall in the center of this, you know, circular driveway. But at the same time, if you take that same plant, that one plant, 
and you stick it over there in a bed, it's, it will take over yes, everything, and you'll you know you'll wind up just moving. Okay. You know, we went out to a yard years ago, and she wanted us to get rid of the chameleon plant, which had already taken over the beds. Yes. And um, I said. I just can't because it's not, you know, because she didn't want to use any any type of weed killer, anything that could possibly, you know, do kill it back. And I, I get that, totally understand that. But sometimes there's a time you have to intervene because digging that up was just no way. We would have had to take every single plant out of the landscape. Rework the soil, dig the roots out, and exactly. all that. Exactly. Because if we tried to pull it out, it'd still be mixed well, in. Well, and, and that's my—that's the way I look at bamboo, though. Is if if you can keep it confined to where you want it, you're apt. It is like Jim was saying. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. plant. I mean, and it can really be used whether it's a screen or a, whether it's a specimen type plant, whatever. But you. But I'm just telling you, when you plant it, just think ahead, <laughs> yeah. and really think about your neighbors also. Right. Oh, and how do we get? On that, when we were talking about camellias, I just realized that. <laughs> I know Kenneth's staring off going, how did we get there? But let's do a break, and then we'll maybe talk about more camellias, or we just might talk about who knows. Yeah, we got a couple of questions, too, that came up on Facebook, too. We'll cover those, and uh, we'll be back. You are listening to Mid-South Gardening from our flagship station, KDVAM in Memphis. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We have got a number of questions. I think we will answer those since I've asked y'all to call. I think we should help with you, with the questions. Here we go. Okay, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to get it off. I can't get it off. Okay, we had, like, uh, really we had John Johnson this one here, and he talks about he usually collects his last mowing grass for his compost, but he's a little concerned because about nine days ago or so, he applied a pre-emerge and was afraid that when he collected this, uh, what effect it might have on his compost and using that compost next year. Right, because pre-emerge, is, if you're not sure, is something that stops your weeds from right. coming up. forms a chemical barrier on the plant surface, binds quickly to clay, so it isn't going to go uh, move anywhere. Uh, now, if you break that surface, then like getting there and plant something, then you can have weed seed come up where you broke that barrier. Uh, and in his case, it's not going to have any effect at all. First of all, it's not going to bind to your leaves, okay? It has to bind to small, very small organic particles. Um, and like like clay particles. Like clay like particles, that. yeah. And uh, it's not going to persist uh, through till next spring. Now, there are a few pre-emerges that can. So, you know, if you use Dimension, I'm not worried at all. If you use Dezoxibin, that one can last, you know, can last up to eight months. But because you're chopping it up and planting it, you're not going to be able to form enough mm. ke- chemical barrier even there to hurt anything. I, I, at least I don't believe you would. So uh, it's, I, I wouldn't be concerned about it at all. Just go ahead, collect your cuttings, put them in a compost pile, and and, and the world will be perfect again. Right. So I, I agree with you. And then even so, too, I mean, people might not realize this, but microorganisms will process chemical products Mm -hmm. i mean they use what about some of those oil spills um they'll use microorganisms to eat the excessive oil that's floating out there on the ocean exactly Mm -hmm. i mean microorganisms are incredible so that's good so you put a pre-emergent down uh, on your lawn 
the pre-emergent is not binding to the grass itself. It's actually being washed in and it's binding to the soil. Well, in this case, like Jim was saying, the gentleman had leaves down, so he was concerned that the pre-emergent residue mm-hmm. would still stay or be on the ground-up leaves, which is not going to be the case because it rolls right off of those. There again, to the ground where it forms a chemical barrier at mm-hmm. ground level, not on leaves or anything right. else. Right. And I'm wondering if uh, he put the pre-emergent down on top of the leaves, that kind of messes your coverage up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, well, it, you know, in theory, if you get a, a decent rain on it, then mm-hmm. the carry, what you see little particles, just a carrier for it. It washes yeah. off of that or it dissolves. Most of them, are, they use a um, either a paper or a lightweight clay barrier. Some of them use vermiculite. Um, but the chemical comes off of that with the first rain. So even though you may see the particles, the barrier, in theory, is formed. So, And, and that's we, the reason we like to do it, you know, 30 days or so before your next batch of weeds yeah. is about to come up. Yeah. You know, we do it in late February for the crabgrass that's going to come up in April. Uh, we do it in August or so, August, September, for the annual bluegrass that's going to come up when it gets mm-hmm. cool. So it gives you 30 days or so to get that chemical barrier formed on the surface through rain naturally. Uh, and uh, so you don't have all those little nasties. Right. I agree. I feel like <laughs> that's agreed is... with me twice now. <laughs> we need mark that date down. Uh, I too. know. What? What? <laughs> I agree. Um, oh, my gosh. You made me forget what I'm agreeing on. <laughs> I'm good at it. Pre-emergent. Let's see. We're talking about pre-emergent. And just forget it. Go ahead. Well, but also uh, <laughs> Riley had texted in on uh, the Mighty 990 uh, Facebook Live. Uh, and Riley Newman said that, oh, good morning, everybody, help needed. He can't get rid of cypress vine in his vegetable garden. Man, that's a pain. But it's it a beautiful never vine, goes away. though. Never, never, never goes away, it seems. And it seems no. like it, it typically is an annual vine. It's going to mm-hmm. die back this winter, but it's going to come back from seed, okay? Yeah. So if you get a pre-emergent, uh, in this case, if it's in a vegetable garden, I would use just old-fashioned, you know, treflin or, mm-hmm. or preen. But again, uh, you can't seed. You can't grow any. Wait, mm. let's think about that. Yeah, you can on it lasts. Well, it, first of all, with yeah. Treflan, there are still certain seeds you can use mm-hmm. after using uh, Treflan, which is preen, uh, which is a form of preen. There are different preens out there. But if you use a pre-emergent, that's going to be the best way to keep that cypress right. vine from re-emerging next mm-hmm. year in this garden plot okay yeah so but if you just, put it down it's it's going to be there for 90 days yeah, maybe? And it, it, but it tells you on the label there are certain seeds you can use directly yeah. after using uh is preen. that with the trefland yeah as you and then, said? okay yeah and then there are uh certain you know transplants that you that you have to mm-hmm. use but you're right the only thing that normally we grow in the garden from seed would be corn um, and some peas, you know, sometime in butter beans. That needs to be, you know, beans and peas will come right up through trifling. Exactly. That's okay. the point. Corn, it needs to, you need to plant it, get it up to at least the three-leaf stage before you apply the pre-emerge. Uh, then it's fine. Is the pre-emerge, is this one the one that burns the root hairs, or or is it the one that stops the cell division of the, the root, I mean, the seed? Trifling. Well, basically, they do the same thing. Yeah. Okay. okay. You know. Yeah. Um, so... 
you know, truffle is about the only thing we've got now for vegetable gardens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, where I was going with that was the the corn is three. I mean, you three can put it down after yeah, so, it gets up. So the corn roots, I yeah. guess, are are sturdy enough to withstand the pre-emergent. Yeah. Okay. And now, if the cypress vine, when he said garden, you know, a vegetable garden, you got to be careful. You can't use just any pre-emergent. And that's like right. James said, mm-hmm. preen is typically what we we'll use. The one that has truffle. Uh, now, if this was in a uh, a flower bed, you know, then, you know, there's quite a few different pre-emergents you can use in there. But the bottom line is using a pre-emergent is going to be the most effective way to keep that cypress vine from coming back up next mm-hmm. spring. Now, if you can't and don't use a pre-emergent, the only other it's way is, the, yeah, or that or spot treat each one right. with Roundup. I was going to say that would be, I would definitely try the pre-emergent. I'm thinking, would I, you know, my organic self? Well, you've um, got corn gluten meal that you can yeah, try. Yeah, uh, that works too. But then, uh, well, it comes up when it's hotter. The cypress vine yeah. takes a while. So I, I'd probably spray with the vinegar mixture because it's hot enough to for the vinegar to burn it when it was coming up. But pre-emergent definitely is a lot better yeah. option. See, now I would use Roundup because vinegar is going to change my pH. I don't want that mm-hmm. to happen. Um, you know, I, if you, if you have like a little tank sprayer and take a Dixie cup and then just poke a hole in the bottom of it and put it on there. So you have a little cup that you're spraying into, uh, and just cover your weed and just give it one little zap. It does nothing to the soil. It's the, about the only herbicide we've got for, um, use after our garden is planted. So you can just go in there, put it over the top of it, give it one little zap and you do get no drift. Best way to take care of it. All right. We'll, we'll be, be back. right back. garden help you need now mid-south gardening powered by palladio home and garden with your hosts veda vance kenneth mabry and jim crowder hey welcome back to mid south gardening everybody if you want to give us a call this morning 901-260-5926 901-260-5926 or 844-747-8868 and I've got some wonderful guests here this morning. From they are guests that are Memphis area master gardeners, and we're going to talk about the 2022 uh, Memphis area master gardener calendar, which is a always a big hit uh, this time of year. And I've got Miss Barbara, I've got Mister uh, Miss Jenny, I got Mister Jamie, and I've got Jan up here. But let's start with Barbara. Barbara, good morning to you. Good morning. And what's so special about this wonderful calendar we always talk about? Well, this calendar is more than just a calendar. It's, this calendar is a go-to gardening resource. It includes gardening information such as how to grow tomatoes, mm-hmm. why hydrangeas don't bloom, <laughs> and then other ways to reduce your gardening tasks and the maintenance of your garden, uh, so on and so forth. And, and, and can I say that if, tell me if I'm wrong. On this particular calendar, and we've already got them at Dan West Garden Center. Tom Levin dropped some by the other day, and people have already run into them. Yes. But this is a calendar for the Mid-South. It's got, with all the information that's in there, this is not what, we don't care what people are doing in Michigan this time of year. We care what people are doing around <laughs> here at this time of year. Correct. It's all local information. And, and the beautiful pictures in there, what about those? 
uh, our gardeners to submit these pictures. There is a very strenuous judging to get the best into the calendar. I bet you there's some behind the scenes, you know, goings on when it comes to uh, picking out these beautiful pictures that are in this calendar. And 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 what about the now? We, if I remember correctly, when we get these calendars in, which we just did the other day, uh, this is not a calendar that will be for sale for the next three to six months. That is correct. It is now on sale, and it will end December the 10th. So that is the caveat there. And, and why is that, though, Miss Barbara? I mean, what's the deal? I mean, I know it has something to do maybe with tax purposes. It is. We are nonprofit, and we have to go by the rules and regulations of all that, and that is the dates that they give us. Now, and we're not saying that you can't find this calendar after December the 10th. What you're saying is, as far as the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, y'all can't sell this calendar to someone like, you know, Palladios or Danwest Garden Centers or any of the other uh, garden centers out there after that date. Correct. You know, and that's why I guess there's always such a run on these calendars, you know, before December the 10th, because people want to make sure that they get one of these calendars. Yes, sir. And um, Jenny, good morning to you. Good morning. Y'all actually were nice enough to bring some calendars up here for me, Vade, and Jim. And, you know, that's why, you know, we're the recipients of this. And this is like the third or fourth year in a row that y'all have brought us calendars, y'all. So we're always going to have an open mic, okay? Because we know that we're going to get a free calendar here. (laughs) (laughs) Good bribery here. Yeah, but I'm I'm just telling you, for for anybody that's not a uh, Memphis Area Master Gardener, if you're just a typical backyard gardener, or if you just need a calendar hanging on the kitchen door, uh, this is the best calendar that's out there. I'm just telling you. But especially, and you can fulfill, you know, fill them in the lines here, especially if you are a gardener because of the information that's in here. That's correct. I mean, we've included a number of things for people that are maybe just beginning to garden. And so we have several charts in the uh, inside the calendar. It gives us uh, information that you can glean uh, all kinds of opportunities to encourage the the Mm -hmm. horticulture um, community and once they get um, get the calendar and and read some of these articles Mm. I think they'll be excited to maybe try something new for a change oh I agree and it seems like you 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 can go to every month January through December okay and on every page of every month uh, there's these highlights on here of, of what to do and what not to do especially what to do uh, for that month. So I, I think that is uh, the best thing in the world. So, uh, and another thing about the calendars, y'all, is they're so inexpensive. Yes, they're just $18. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, the garden centers have them. I, mean, I know you can go online and get them. But, but this is a big fundraiser for the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. Um, yes, sir, it is. You know, it's, I mean, because everybody, I mean, think about, you know, Everybody has to have a fundraiser. You've got to create funds somehow, okay? Uh, I mean, just to keep it going. You know, you can't rely on just, you know, the Memphis Area Master Gardeners paying to be in the program. Uh, You've got to get some of this outside money somewhere. And this is, I think, the best way in the world uh, to raise that money. And if I am hearing this correctly from people, it seems like every year y'all are selling more calendars than y'all did the year before. 
We certainly run out of calendars every year and have people still asking. Well, and that's because it's such a great calendar there again. So uh, for everybody out there that's listening, I mean, make sure, guys, uh, that you get one of these calendars. They are the best stocking stuffer in the world. For anybody and everybody, not only do they get a beautiful calendar with these beautiful pictures that are taken by Mid-South people, right? That's right. Um, And you get all this wonderful information that's in here, uh, and it's so inexpensive. But the thing is, you've got to remember this. The Memphis Area Master Gardeners cannot sell this to retailers after December the 10th. Now, we were smart last year around the 5th of December. You know, we ordered more. (laughs) That way we knew we would have enough calendars to at least make it through December. Um, but there's always going to be a, you know, a big run on these. Uh, it seems like the sooner the better because people understand when they're gone, they're, they're gone. gone. They're gone. Yes. And, and while we're here, guys, and not only to brag about this great calendar, uh, the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, uh, if someone was to be, wanted to become involved in it, Barbara, what do they do? I mean, do they start now to become involved and to make, take classes next year, or how does this all work? The class for this year has been filled, and mm-hmm. uh, applications will be online at our site, at the Master Gardener site. Uh, and those, you know, people can read up on, the, on what our purpose is, what we do, our activities, um, and they can prepare to send in the applications, which happen in the fall of the year, and then uh, the so, process goes from there. So they actually, if you want to become a member, for say, your best bet is to start doing all this in the fall for yes, the spring classes. Is that correct? Correct. And those spring classes run from about how long? January to uh, about the middle of April. And then I've had a lot of people come in and say, well, you know, I want to do this, but I'm a little afraid to do this because I know I have to take a big test at the end of the session. <laughs> there is a test, but that te- <clears throat> the purpose of that test is just to make sure that the people who go through the course have the general information. It is not to discard or to... Uh, fail people we've never right. we will everybody who's involved with the class helps people yeah. to gain that knowledge so that they can be a person that gives accurate information to others so don't let that be a reason no. for not ever joining the memphis area master gardener program because i've had people come to me and voice that you know that 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 concern, if you will, that they really just didn't want to take that test at the end of the session. Well, you know, when you've been out of school for a while, which most of us have, uh, nobody looks forward to a test. Uh, but the test shouldn't be frightening. We, you are well prepared for it, and people give you lots of help. And then when you go through the, the program and you do pass the test, which you're going to pass the test, okay? Yes, sir. Um, and then what about the, the volunteer hours, which people in my, the people that I talk to, they actually love that more than anything. The, during the internship, which is during the class, you grow accustomed to the different <clears throat> volunteer opportunities around, the different places that you can volunteer. And most of us sort of find a niche which we get very happy with. And we get into fellowship mm-hmm. with the people that you work with and the place that you're working at. And so those are easy to find. And it's a variety of different places that you can get those volunteer Oh, absolutely. From. And then what about continuing education? Is there any 
continuing education once you become a Memphis Area Master Gardener? Continuing education is for the benefit of the member themselves, and those opportunities are pretty great also. Uh, In the spring, there's lots and lots of opportunity to do that, so it's easy to get those few hours that are needed for that. And then there's online things. there's different uh, societies that give programs. There are right. a lot of ways to get CEUs. <laughs> mm. Continuing ed. Got you. And, uh, and, and, of course, the calendar, like I said, and that's really the main reason I wanted y'all up here, is that to me this is the, this is the best paperwork, that, honestly, that you can get your hands on from the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. Um, go ahead, Jenny. It's just a great source for uh, all kinds of information. In the very beginning, there are numbers and websites for all the societies Mm -hmm. and the farmers markets and all the things that are available. And then you've got the notes, as you said, on each month of of what you should do during that month. And then on the uh, next page where it has the dates for that month, we list all of the uh, meetings and things that are available so that you can attend some of the society meetings. And uh, and I'm assuming and, most of the societies are open now, aren't they? You remember yes. last year it was all Zoom, but now with the mass mandates being dropped, you know, like the Hort meetings or whatever, I'm assuming people are showing up in person. Some of them are. Some yeah. of them are still on Zoom. Okay. So there, and some of them are doing um, a multiple of different types of meetings. So, you know, it's a new world, and we're just trying to... <laughs> learn the ways that we can pass the information on to the public in the best way. And then, you know, the bragging rights that come with having your picture published in the calendar, okay? Uh, But see, in my opinion, you know, if I go out there and start taking all these pictures, which I'm going to do now, uh, I just want to know how I can get my picture on the cover of the calendar. <laughs> that's that's really hard. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of debate when we put this calendar together, and we're we're uh, quite picky. Well, I didn't know who I need to bring all the, uh, the flower. Yeah, in hair? yeah, yeah. And and I didn't know who I need to start sending all these donuts to. By the way, so. <laughs> But, guys, that's great. Um, y'all do a wonderful job, you know, and you know you do, but it's good to hear that from time to time from outside people. Y'all really do. Uh, this calendar is just one example, but it's a great thing to have for anybody and everybody out there listening. You need to get the Memphis Area Master Gardener calendar, put it in the stock and stuffer, and I promise you the little gardener out there will love it forever. So, And we've got to go to a break. We're going to come back in just a second and have a few more words with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners talking about the 2022 MAMG calendar. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Mid-South Gardening. You want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926, or 844-747-8868. And we've had a great discussion uh, this morning with some <clears throat> excuse me, some Memphis Area Master Gardeners, initially talking about the wonderful uh, calendar that's out this time of year. I've got uh, Miss Barbara and I've got Miss Jenny here. Uh, and just another note, y'all, on the calendar. I just want people to understand that it is available uh, at garden centers uh, as we speak. Where else can they get this calendar? Uh, well, the garden centers, of course, the Novel Bookstore, Wild mm-hmm. Birds Unlimited has them. Mm-hmm. 
And then something about going online also. They can go on to the MAMG mm-hmm. website and order online. Shipping is free. There you go. You can't beat that. It's MemphisAreaMasterGardeners.org. Got it. Perfect. And uh, we said this is just one small way um, to, to actually raise funds for the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. Uh, other than the uh, the calendar, which you need to get it sooner than later, because after December the 10th, if I'm correct, the Memphis Area Master Gardeners can't produce any more calendars to the retail outlet. So you you better get them while the getting's good. Uh, and then coming up, ladies, um, what's something that we need to be marking on our calendar that we purchase and uh, looking forward to? The spring fling is coming up where we have lots of education that's going to be uh given as an opportunity to not only master gardeners themselves but also to the public uh, which we look forward to and this year you know last year we didn't get to do it because of all the mm-hmm. covid but uh this year we're planning strong for it and, and that's usually sometime in march the spring yeah, fling the it's toward the end of march right. will be the plant online plant sale and toward the first part of April will be the actual in-person spring fling with the educational opportunities. Perfect. And you'll find those dates on the, on the calendar itself if you look in those areas, and it defines which days that we're going to have those events. And, and then, and let me say this also, guys, before I let y'all get out of here. Uh, the biggest thrust of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners is not to sell calendars. It's not to have a spring fling. It's all about, I mean, that's all great, and they're wonderful. But the big thrust of this whole thing is education. Yes, sir. Education is our, is our mm. mission and goal. It is to educate and improve the lives of Shelby County and Tennessee uh, and provide the education, horticulture education that is uh, research-based right. to people. Right. And so if I ever have a question or if I'm out there just the average person in, in Shelby County and I, and I need answers, of course, I know there's a million different places I can go. But is there is there like a web page or a phone number or anything like that I can go to to maybe get some answers? We have a hotline that you mm-hmm. can call, and uh, any question is received, and it's dissipated to individuals that can answer your question. And <laughs> how if, easy is that? If, for instance, we don't know the answer. We'll just take your number, we'll find the answer, and call you back. Because there are enough members out there that have done everything that they shouldn't do. And, <laughs> and, they, and they learn, you know, they learn through the process, right? Of hey, that's how <laughs> you become a gardener. And not to do. Um, and on the resource page, which is the first page of the calendar, it gives us the hotline number on here. So it's, which is 901-752-1207. Uh, but it also gives the other numbers and things that are available. Guys, we got a couple of minutes left. So I just want to, I can't thank y'all enough for getting up uh, as early as y'all do to get up here and talk about, uh, you know, these wonderful, uh, you know, this wonderful program to start with. Uh, but also the wonderful calendar that comes out annually every year. And I, I had a lady call, uh, she called Miss Claire, uh, our producer, and wanted to know, how long has this been going on? Not the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, but do we have a clue of how long they've been pushing out these calendars here? Um, I think, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, this is our eighth year. You see, I thought it was like the second or third year yeah. for some reason. Oh, we, and, you know, everyone gets better 
we we think we've done the best we can do and this is the the best calendar ever and then the next year comes along and we've got one even well y'all knocked this one out of the park i'm telling you but next year uh to make it really the best we need to have a picture from kenneth mabry stuck in there somewhere so (laughs) i'm starting to talk about that now get your camera ready (laughs) well barbara love you to death thank you for being here jenny same with you and we always appreciate jan and jamie for coming up uh, and appreciate y'all's support more than anything. So y'all keep up the great work, and we'll keep talking about these wonderful calendars every year. Super. Thank you. We right, appreciate guys. you. Uh, well, I know we got to go to a break. If you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926, or toll-free 844-747-8868. We'll be back after these messages. You've been listening to Mid-South Gardening. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Well, that was interesting about the garden calendars. Glad we could have them with us this morning for a little bit. So just check them out. You'll find them at independent garden centers for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about fall fertilizer. That sounds good to me. Okay. Um, okay. We'll start at the ground up. How about that? Mm, uh-huh. Good, good. Um, <laughs> Fall bulbs. Do you need fertilizer? No. Right. You don't. You really don't. Um, they have built their strength from the last year. Hold on. Let me. The fertilizer is best for applied next year. That's when they really need it. Okay. <laughs> right. But yeah. if you're going to fertilize them, make sure that you, if you're using traditional bulb fertilizer, make sure that it doesn't come in contact with the roots. You want to dig your hole deeper than you need. Mix your fertilizer in with it. Put a little soil on top and then put your bulb in so that you don't have those coming in direct contact with the roots. Um, now, do you like something like bone meal? Do you like superphosphate? Do you like bulb tone, bulb food, or just any of those? Well, I mean, if you're going to do it, do, a, do an all-purpose bulb food, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I shy away on bulbs from using any of the real organics like blood meal, bone meal, those kind of things. Because they bring in the old critters? Yeah, so many things want to investigate, see what that is, uh, and they can dig them up. And you've just made the soil looser and easier, easier for them to do that. So, um, But ideally, the plant needs next year, after it's produced its flower, it's, got, it's putting its foliage up, that's when it really needs addition, the additional fertilizer if you're going to do it. And the best way to apply it, and here's the one time I really think water-soluble fertilizers do a good job, is because they will follow the bulb all the way down to the bulb base where the fertilizer. If you broadcast a dry fertilizer on Mm -hmm. top, it doesn't get directly down to the roots where you can get that get uh, fertilizer just to follow the the contour of the leaves. Runs right Mm -hmm. down beside the bulb, gets finally gets to the roots. So that's uh, that's a good way to fertilize those. Well, I'm glad you brought up fall bulbs, too, because, Jim, you're talking about feeding uh, the ones that come back every year uh, in the spring yeah. when the foliage is, is just naturally dying back. Because that's when it's storing well, up the carbide, or after bloom, I should say. After bloom, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and around here, you know, most bulbs invaded. We've talked about this a million times. Most bulbs come back great uh, for years to come. 
Uh, the only one really that doesn't come back typically is are the tulips. Mm-hmm. All the other bulbs, whether it's the minor bulbs, the daffodils, most of the different types of narcissus, uh, the crocus, hyacinths, whatever, tend to come back really well. Uh, and typically, you know, planting season is getting pretty close. I, I generally like to plant bulbs in the ground around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The soil temperatures right. are when cool. You're, when your family's over. And have them out eat. planting yeah. bulbs for you, you yeah. know. But that is a good time to plant in that general time frame. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go out there, and let's say if you planted this weekend um, your bulbs, it's probably okay. But what you don't want to do is get them in the ground and then have warm temperatures for, you know, a couple of weeks after you plant them. And then they'll try to tease themselves out of the mm-hmm. ground, even though it wouldn't really do anything a whole right. lot to them. But typically waiting till the soil temperatures are cool, they're going to stay cool. And that's usually sometimes around Thanksgiving. Right. And like my theory on fertilization is <clears throat> I'm keeping the soil healthy and then I just plant the bulbs and don't do anything at the time and since the soil's got all the nutrients in it when it's needed then it's going to be there okay jim what's the next fertilizer okay the next thing is uh let's talk about lawns okay um lawns are heavy feeders bermuda the heaviest zoysia needs about half as much fertilizer to make a good turf um fescue about a 25 percent as much to make a good turf so mm-hmm. You don't have to heavily feed them. But what we have found here in the Mid-South particularly, we tend to get, if, especially if you've got water running through your lawn, uh, we see some fungal issues with uh, zoysia and Bermuda uh, from that staying wet throughout the course of the winter. Uh, so we found that if you apply two pounds of potash per thousand square feet, it helps improve the disease resistance substantially of your turf grasses. Uh, and you're less likely to have issues through the winter. Um, if you, still always a good idea if you know that you're going to have issues to put a, a, a good um, fungicide down, something. I, I, pr- I like Eagle, which is uh, the for, F-stop, F, Fertilome's yeah. F-stop, which is a good product. Uh, but And you put that down in the fall, Jim? I put it down in the fall and didn't do it again in the spring. Mm. Yeah, two times a year. The, um, the you don't really need the nitrogen after in lawn for lawn fertilizers after the first of November usually because the we've had a frost and that pretty much stops your growth. Um, so the main thing is it, well, we used to call them winterizers. You know they hmm. basically were well balanced fertilizers, um, and now we've gotten away from using nitrogen and, and potash particularly in turf fertilizers. So. Um, so putting down two pounds of potassium per thousand, per thousand square, feet. square feet, and you can do that any, still any yeah, time, and right? and you can buy bags, 50-pound bags. You know, if you just got a little lawn, you know, five pounds will go a long way for you. And that would be uh, like murate of potash. Yeah, yeah, right. But you can buy zero zero sixty 60 usually in 50-pound bags, mm-hmm. uh, and that's pretty economical. And, and what about the Fertilome or whatever brand winterizer? But see, it still has that 10% nitrogen. So it, it's it, like a 10-0-14. It, it does, and if your ground temperature is cool, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It ain't going to be available. Right. You know? Uh, ammoniacal nitrogen is not available in cold ground. So, so I mean, you uh, can put that, still put that down. You can put it down, but you're not going to get any growth out of but it. But you will get the potassium down, though. Y- yes, you will. Uh, and you may have to... You may have to increase the rate on that one. I'd have to. What is that? What's the potassium? Like a in that twenty. One? It's a fourteen percent, but they say twenty pounds per five thousand square feet. Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, so um, what I was. Yeah. What was I going to say? So I'm all. 
I'm always about trying to prevent it before it starts. And I guess it would be integrated pest management and disease where you're trying to get on a, you know, follow the rules of nature. So when I do my lawn or when I did my lawn, it's just all strictly organic products because I know there's bad fungus and there's good fungus. And so if you're feeding the good fungus with the organic matter, then it helps subdue the bad fungus. So I'm going to go with that first in, in my gardening methods, try that first. And then if um, the next year it seems to want to take over more than just a small area, then I just add more organ- organic matter, and uh, then the su- the seasons change, and the grass grows, and it looks good and green. Then I'll add more organic matter. The next year, if it really starts taking over, then maybe I will apply a light fungicide. But normally, just <clears throat> using organic products for me works really well. Yeah, but and, and like Jim said, there are some fungal pathogens out there. You know, uh, take all patch, brown patch, some of those. Uh, and a lot of that depends on, you know, the health of the lawn. Uh, a lot of times, especially we see where people are growing Bermuda and zoysia where they just really don't get enough sun to support it. And those type of grasses are more susceptible. Yeah. See, that's the thing in the organic yeah. <clears throat> thing is don't put something where it won't grow, you know. <laughs> but we all do that, right? <laughs> right. Oh, that one so, shut our industry yeah, down. Yeah, right, mean. right. <laughs> well, like on the lawn and all, you know, quit trying to, pour a lot of fertilizer and fungicide on it to make it go a little bit longer in the shade when it's a sun plant. That's kind of what I'm meaning. Well, but yeah, I mean, but there are situations where, you know, whether for whatever reason, like Jim said, excessive moisture, of course, in the winter, which surely can cause a lot of fungal problems. Us trying to grow grasses where they typically just don't want to grow. Very nutrient poor uh, you know, lawns, mm-hmm. uh, pH way out of balance. I mean, all those things can, you know, play a part in that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the healthier we keep our lawn, <laughs> you know, the, the less problems we're going to have down the road. But I still like the idea of, you know, a winterizer, not only for your lawn, Jim, and your bulbs, but for trees and shrubs. Yeah. On, on getting back to the lawn fertilizer for just a second. Now, I do use nitrogen in October because the ground, you're not going to, at least here, we don't have frost yet. Uh, it, the ground temperature is still warm, and adding a little nitrogen in the fall tends to keep your grass greener a little longer and tends to make it green up uh, about two weeks earlier in the spring. So, you know. Well, that's where after, that 10% would be okay, right? Yeah, but yeah. After, after November 1, you get little or no benefit from the nitrogen. Gotcha. So that's the reason. I switch to a 0060 or something like that if you're trying to, to help prevent fungus. Now, the upside is if you're doing the fertilizer, you also are, if you've got trees, you're fertilizing them. And then fall is a good time for trees as they're dropping their leaves because the ground temperature is still warm right at the surface. And they'll get a good bit of benefit from that fertilizer and strengthen the tree for next spring. Uh, now, we have to be a little bit careful with things like shrubs because we tend to have warm temperatures here on up through Christmas quite right. often, you know. Right. I feed roses in November, you know. Um, so y- you want to be a little bit careful because if we have four or five weeks of really unusually warm weather, you can force some new growth on them if you're using uh, ammoniacal nitrogen. So you want to be a little bit careful there, you know, because if it sprouts new growth, it's going to get zapped by the cold. Now, what if you're using a, a coated nitrogen that's very slow release, uh, around your shrubs, Jim, even this time of year? 
It's going to be there till spring if it lasts that long, you know, if the coating doesn't break down. But any concern about pushing out new growth prematurely? Not with not with a, a silver-coated urea or those type things. There, It's Osmocote. It's just it's not going to do it because it, it's it's controlled by temperature and bacteria. So, you know, it's, it's safe to use, put down if you want to. Yeah, I right. got you. Right. Yeah, and then, like me, I'm going to put compost down, um, like some of the humic acid, just different things to uh, feed the plant, make it healthier, make it more resistant as well. Yeah, and then, you know, you also see a lot of people putting organic products down this time of year, uh, whether it's the holytones, the plant tones, the milorganites, those type of uh, non-burning, slow-release type fertilizers. They can also yeah. put those down. Well, I like organic because you don't have to play with <clears> any <throat> numbers. I don't <laughs> like doing the math. <laughs> I can just throw it out whenever. You can fertilize whenever because it stays in the soil. It doesn't go away because uh, that's the whole point of it. And so that way when the plant's ready to eat, the fertilizer's there. I'm not having to guess with the temperature and all. Like, okay, there's the temperature's right. Let me run out and fertilize real quick. I, I just feel good knowing that it's always there. Well, and I, and I guess, Adam, talking, hearing y'all to say that, what you really want to stay away from is, say, like a triple 13. Right, agricultural grade fertilizer. You know, around a... The, a that a, have ammonia nitrate in it as the source of right, nitrogen. Right, around azaleas or whatever, this hey, late in the season, because you don't want to force out yeah. new growth and have winter just come right by. And, and then that eliminates fungal problems <clears throat> a lot of times, because the really high nitrogen and all growing too fast could create fungal problems. What do people use triple 13 on now, or is it just kind of out well, there? For... for for vegetable gardens, it's fine because mm-hmm. you're you're trying to force growth. You're wanting to uh, feed them rapidly, uh, you know, and then you can change to six, twelve, twelve, or something as the season progresses. So it's an inexpensive way to fertilize vegetable gardens mm-hmm. to keep your costs down. Uh, you know, it's not something I would throw on on my turf or anything like that. And I wrote down, and I know we only got like a minute, is not only winter fertilizer or fall fertilizer that you're talking about, Jim, but what about winter mulching? You know, uh, you know, a lot of people say they, they like to mulch. If they haven't mulched in the spring or summer, they like to mulch, especially this time of year, in preparation for cold temperatures. Uh, and I think that's very smart to do, especially around shallow-rooted <clears throat> excuse me, uh, shrubs, like azaleas, for example. Here uh, are pretty much all things. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and we just warn against don't overdo the mulch. You know, a couple of inches of mulch really is all you need uh, to help insulate yeah. that root system, uh, help hold that moisture right, in the summer. Right, five inches doesn't make your soil warmer. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and, and, but we see that all the time, mm-hmm. guys. We see people, especially landscape companies, come in and put down just tons of mulch Mm-hmm. On top of these plants, even Japanese maples, for example, boxwoods, they hate heavy layers of mulch on their root system. Right. So And around the base, you know. But but winter or fall mulching in preparation for winter uh, is not a bad thing at all, as long as you don't go out there and overdo the mulch. Don't, right. don't turn a good thing into a bad thing. Well, so I, I kind of look at... Okay, say, oh, wait, let's go to a break first. All right, we're going to go to a break first. (laughs) Give us a call, 844-747-8868, or stream us online, kwamradio.com.
Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are joining us this morning. Joining us. Joining us. So, um, oh, I was going to go into the whole health thing, but here's my thoughts. Okay, so, you know, people, animals, lawns, the whole environment all lives off the same things. That's why it works really well to con to compost in nature naturally, not us to put in a compost bin, but insects and animals and all of that because we're just replenishing the earth and then uh, taking it back up in our vegetables and all. So both of us need microorganisms. Both of us need beneficial um uh, bacterias in our soil all of us in our soil beneficial bacteria all that stuff you know for your gut to make you healthy we need all the minerals and everything like that so if you eat you know good clean food you get all of that so it helps with your immune system does an oreo cookie help you with that at all it does have anything that improves your health it's delicious sure improves my attitude that's right absolutely (laughs) i know really (laughs) but am i gonna not have an oreo cookie no i'm gonna have one but then you know i need to balance it out so that's my whole theory with using synthetic versus uh the chemical the synthetic doesn't have all those products in it that a plant's health needs just like an oreo cookie doesn't have all the things that i need in now, it of course you know she likes to ignore the fact that plants cannot eat organic nitrogen period yeah okay the molecule is much too large it can't do it it breaks it down into inorganic he hates nitrogen, it when i which talk is exactly about exactly the same thing I that argue, you throw down with the commercial fertilizer i argue it i argue it so there i I know i i uh i just i just believe in the whole soil web and i just pumpkin yeah i just believe yeah pumpkins are great for (laughs) compost piles well i can say this though i mean i think that fertilizers have come a long way since way back when Mm -hmm. um and, you know, like Jim was saying a while ago, and like you're saying, Beta, there are really good organic nitrates or organic products on the market. They have more than just nitrogen in them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not only do they have the NPK, they have a lot of the minerals and the micronutrients and so forth. Same thing with synthetic fertilizers. And like Jim has made the comment before, you know, you couldn't feed the world without synthetic fertilizers. But I, I think we will one day. <laughs> I really, really believe that. It may be. You know, maybe we're coming to something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the biggest thing with, with any, and we say this over and over, uh, is just use what's actually called for. You know, mm-hmm. if it says two pounds per hundred square feet, that doesn't mean 20 pounds per hundred square feet is any better. Because a lot of it times, makes it worse a lot. Of it, times. Oh, absolutely, it does for mm-hmm. a, for a lot of different reasons. If nothing less than you just having so much runoff, uh, mm-hmm. you know, into the soil, uh, from the soil into the the uh, you know the the gut or the drain, and then into the rivers, and and then it's, it's just it creates a lot of different mm-hmm. type of problems. So whether it's organic or whether it's synthetic, just make sure you're going by the label, no heavier than what it calls for. Kenneth likes to ease it, the tension between Jim and I. No, no, it's nothing to it. We'll be right back.
the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden. Yes, you are, Miss Veda. I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, the short, fat guy. I <laughs> <laughs> love him. And Jim, you've got something on... Uh, uh, some kind of web page or what is what is your gardening Facebook page? When are you ever going to learn about? I oh, know. I mean, it's so, Mid South Gardening. Least, it's our Facebook group. Yes, Mid South Gardening, it's, and I'm telling and it's, you, and it's really good. We you made know. it lesser because remember yeah. I could never get the USD gardening. Yeah, I took first. all that out because yeah. now we're more broad. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and don't get even mis- misled by that because it, basically the problems are the same for everybody mm-hmm. wherever you are. You right. know, there's some difference in what plants you can and can't grow. Um, but, you know, we, we'll tackle anything. So, you know, post a question on there or uh, uh, brag some. Show what you've done in your garden. Everybody likes to see it. Yeah. I know, and, and there's, there's absolutely zero drama. None. Yeah. 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 No preachers. Nothing. Uh, gonna, nobody's going to get on there and right. tell you that you're, you know, killing the earth. Uh, that's not what we do. We're about good practical information for, for gardeners. The yeah. people that like organics, are they allowed on your page? There are a number of them on there, <laughs> yes. Well, uh, there's nothing yes, it's wrong beautiful. with organics, okay, mm-hmm. at all. So the pictures are fantastically beautiful are because the other thing is, too, there's so many plants that you'll never be able to get them all, see them all at garden centers and all of that. So I'm really enjoying seeing so many different things mm-hmm. that people are growing in their yard. And uh, it just makes you feel good to be with uh, what's the camaraderie well, that's on your site, actually. You know, another thing is we don't all live in the same area of town. You know, there's mm-hmm. downtown, midtown, East Memphis, and then the surrounding areas. And if something is happening out there, whether it's army worms, chinch bugs, bill bugs, whatever, in a certain part of town, uh-huh. you'll see it on there before they get to your place. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so I'm, I'm just telling you. I mean, you you will definitely know yeah. what's Ooh, going on we, in the We follow the hummingbirds as they move north. Yeah. Because you know? we have members, yeah. not just from the Mid-South area, we have members in England. Uh, we have mm-hmm. members uh, in California. We have some obviously listening, as, you know, uh, our it program in the morning. It is wonderful. So, so, wait, do not all of our hummingbirds go north, right? Do we have one variety or two that stay? Stay here? Yeah. Last year there were, if I remember correctly, like six um, pairs of the rufous sided that were actually wintered here in mm-hmm. Tennessee confirmed uh and there's being more and more of that now we used to never see those yeah. you know really much east of the rockies they must be uh, getting more cold resistant because well, we're getting cooler well they'll actually tolerate a good bit of cold you know mm-hmm. um when i first got in into this business hummingbirds you didn't see any in the south okay <clears> during <throat> the winter time they, they were oh, going yeah, to mexico right, right but now i mean they have huge populations that stay in, around the new orleans and baton rouge area mm-hmm. that that winter there so it's definitely warmer than warmer winters than it have been. But they can yeah. take cold temperatures. They just, you know, go into a little state of turper and sit there and wait it out. <laughs> Maybe they all went south because we were saying don't put out hummingbird feeders because if or yeah, if they do they won't leave uh, and then they'll no, freeze. That, so yeah. now they're like, Oh, wait, there's still food here. I don't have to 
fly no, south. No. It's you, all of us. That's we a mess. That's a mess. Yeah, we, we we cannot, you know, control I'll, I'll the think instinct. Think a million years yeah. of evolution, right? There. I said we can't yeah. control an instinct that they yeah. have. Well, what you mean if you keep your hummingbird feeder out there? Because in the back of your mind, you're like, "Ooh, I need to take this down because I don't mm-hmm. want to keep my hummingbirds here and let them die on the way to warmer climates." Right. When they yeah. get ready to leave, they know when it's time to right. leave. Whether you get that thing full of but brand new sugar that, water. If you live out in rural areas, you might consider leaving one up because you mm-hmm. could very could possibly be feeding uh, mm-hmm. a local rufus or Yeah, whatever. okay. That sounds good. Had somebody text in that says, why does ryegrass, and on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, why does ryegrass and fescue grass, and this is Mr. coming from Mr. Bob, uh, grow better in cool weather? Um, well, it is a cool weather type grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, rye grass, I don't care where you put it. You can sow the seed today if you wanted to, but whether you put it in sun or shade, when it gets hot next year, it's going to burn out. Right. It is a winter grass, but it loves cool weather. It's a cool season grass. Yeah, and that's the key. It's really a cool season grass. Right. It doesn't like the heat that right. we have mm-hmm. here. And and with fescue, Jim. I mean, typically, and we you know we say this all the time. Fescue uh, is a grass that would typically grow in the shade where the Bermuda and zoysia won't grow. But fescue also, around here, let me say that is a cool season grass. Yeah, it goes dormant. Okay, during the summertime when the soil temperatures get to about seventy degrees, it wants to stop growing. Now, the nice thing about fescue is when it's dormant, it stays right. green. Right. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, so you've got that nice green patch up underneath your trees. But you don't want to do anything to force growth because it really doesn't want to grow in warm So if you're going to feed fescue, you feed it in the fall and spring. Do right. not feed it in the don't summertime. Feed it in the summer. Mm-hmm. Mow it as infrequently as you possibly can because if you remove that tissue, it wants to replace that tissue. And that way, if, if it's trying to grow constantly to replace that tissue, it's burning stored carbohydrates, you know. It's not getting much sun. Well, the reason it does well here is because when it's growing, there's no leaves on the trees. It's getting lots and lots of sun, okay? And it's storing carbohydrates for that dormant period during the summertime. And then if you just keep depleting those carbs, you're going to kill the grass. Now, you do want to cut it as high as your lawnmower would go without it it, needs to be cut. Without it falling over, yes. You know, it needs to be very, very tall to leave as much leaf blade as possible. A little light dose of an organic, like, you know, just want to make sure you hear this over there across the table. I hear it. Okay. (laughs) During the summertime with, like, milorganite. Or even liquid seaweed. Or something like that, just a little. Helps improve the the photosynthesis and will keep a healthy grass. But the two things that people do to, to kill it is fertilizing at the wrong time and then when they're out there on a hundred degree day mowing they like to mow under the trees yes they, they do they want to have know, that they'll uh, spend more time under the trees they, they want to <laughs> have oh, I gotcha. <laughs> but they want to have that fescue the same height as the bermudian zoysia and jim is saying in the summertime when it's hot and dry the main thing you should do to fescue is keep it watered yeah uh, and Two leave it alone. Don't cut that thing short like you do your Bermuda and Zoysia in the summertime. Leave it alone. Just water as needed. And then know that every summer you're going to lose some of that fescue. You just are. But every fall and spring you can oversee to perpetuate what you have. So Zoysia, I mean uh, ryegrass and fescue are cool season type grasses. And then the argument you'll hear people say is, okay, 
you see fescue growing like wild in uh-huh. St. Louis and Kansas City and these places even in the summertime. That's right. Okay, well, it gets hot up there in the summer. Not as hot as it does here. So not as long. Cool. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, and a lot of that also has to do with daylight length of time and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But it's um, you just baby it during the summertime. Yeah. yeah. I like the ryegrass out in my yard in the wintertime. I like the green. You mean yeah. so you like, oversee like you, a Bermuda or Zoysia yeah. sometimes with ryegrass to have the green but winter long. But then you may mm-hmm. have to mow. Yeah, you do. You, know. you have to mow some. Right. But yeah. still exercise in the winter. Yeah, right? last, last year I planted a little area in the backyard. I had, had sodded it with zoysia, and both my dogs killed the zoysia pretty quickly. Uh, so I sowed it with annual ryegrass. Comes up great, you know, and, mm-hmm. and grew, but it had to be mowed a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Um, and then it seeded, and there's stuff coming up everywhere, and that was a mistake. <laughs> you know, you can't ever, you know, like in the north, there's all these, uh, well, and it kind of migrates down here, too. All these rules or tips on how to clean your tools before you put them up for the winter how to drain the everything out of your lawnmower you know the gas Mm -hmm. and all that before you put it up for the winter but here you don't put anything up Mm -hmm. (laughs) because (laughs) you know it's going to be a beautiful weekend in january or a beautiful week in february yeah and so I'm just keeping my tools out and ready. You just you're always ready for the right day because we have so many different. Well, and, and, and one of the one must time. and one of the must tools. And I wrote this down earlier. Uh, you know, we were talking about bl- uh, planting bulbs, tulips, daffodils mm-hmm. on down the line. Well, the bulb auger will yeah. save you so much time, especially if you're putting down quite a few bulbs. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, there's always a hand trial. There's a bulb planter. I get that. But this bulb auger is just a a nice-sized bulb auger bit that you put on your drill. And you go out there and you zap those holes in the ground and you come back and just plop those bulbs in there. I mean, you can plant hundreds of bulbs in just no time. And that's in a prepared bed. It is. Because like Jim said, tell me your... Yeah, you know, if if, if if you got hard clay and you crank down on that <laughs> on that drill, it will spin your butt around. <laughs> so, yeah. Don't go there. But but you know, you do see a, a lot of people, and and most I people agree. are putting in the these beds, bulbs yeah. in prepared right, beds. Right, right. Yeah. But it will flat out. I mean, it will knock them out in no time whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So the old bulb auger is a. Uh, a, a good tool to have, I'm telling you. Yeah, I agree. And it's good for if you need to put holes in the ground to put plants. your fertilizer. Yeah, bedding plants too. Or you can drop your fertilizer down in the holes and that will help it get deeper quicker. Yeah. So you can use a auger for that, but not in our soil. Because it, like Jim said, I found out. Soil. Yeah, because yeah. I was going to try to do that. Well, we have to go to break. But I was going to try to do that around a tree with an auger, and I found out quickly that doesn't she, work. She found the roots of the tree. Yeah, I didn't even get that far. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 844-747-8868. Stream us online, KUAM Radio. Dot com mm-hmm. Or visit. the Mighty 990 Facebook yeah. page. You can send us a text that way. You can visit me at Palladio. You can visit Kenneth at Dan West. And you can visit Jim on his Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. the Mighty um, 990. Or Mid-South, uh, Mid-South Gardening. Gardening. Yeah. 
So anyway, I look, I look that at that out. thing all the time. You wouldn't think that yeah, I do, you, Jim. Right. Yeah. Right. I really do. Because I'm just going straight for the pictures. Yeah. You know, that's my thing. I don't read direction. I'm trying to. Well, though, a lot of people don't. You know, because like, yeah. there was a um, one of our good posters put a picture of his uh, Sengukaku maple in mm-hmm. just beautiful fall color, and three different people mm-hmm. asked, "What is it?" You know. They could have just looked and read and found, right. you know, what you know, it was, but they don't go that far. They don't read the other posts. Yeah, they, just they go, don't oh, think. What is this? They what think, is this? What yeah, is this? Yeah, because the way it shows up, because I went yeah. through that for a while, I, and I realized because they would make a, somebody make a comment, and I'm thinking, but that doesn't go to anything. And then when I realized when you can hit the comments and find a whole thread, yeah. then mm-hmm. it made sense. Now, so. what about, are there any Japanese maples that we shouldn't plant around here? I mean, that we shouldn't? Good, shouldn't. No, that's no. exactly a good question. No, I don't think okay, so. Because, so. see, I was thinking this the other day. Why don't we talk about what you don't plant? Because, <laughs> because there's, there's so many a, on the market. That, I mean, is Because there's I'm so much stuff you can plant, so it would be easier for me well, to yeah, just know in, what I can't. In fact, th- this winter I'm going to be working on a list of plants that should come with a warning label. Yeah, You know, that are point. still legal to sell in Tennessee, but, oh, you mm, know. What you, kind of plants? Well, you know, like like um, invasive plants, yeah, like privet well, used to be. It, it's te- it, they're invasive if they're not native. Okay, yeah. they say that if they're native, they're technically aggressive. Oh, you wow. know, which okay. to me is just you know you're good, the same words, but yeah. um, the the purists like to differentiate Do you have between the two. Itia on there. Itia will be on there, yes, yeah. because for most. Small gardens, mm-hmm. it's an inappropriate plant. It's a great yeah. native plant. Great right. containers. Can use, be yeah. used beautifully in, in larger settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for most homeowners uh, that have small beds, like I had one, and I'm still fighting it in some areas trying yeah. to get rid of it, uh, it, it just multi- just spreads so rapidly. So that, if you, you let know, it go, you wouldn't have, be able to plant anything that's else. Right. Yeah, I would have a whole... It would be solid across the back of my house mm-hmm. now. You know, yeah. And I, that's not... It's not a good plant for that. I bet you so, have the hoot nanny in there too. Yeah, hootenia is on there. That one's fun. It better be. That yeah. was the chameleon mm-hmm. plant we were talking about yeah, in the last I hour. Like it there are not, you know, and there are some plants that I really like, like akebia. I love I that plant, too. chocolate vine. But but whoa, it, it yeah. should come with a warning label. I had you know? no clue. I call we, it little leaf kudzu. You that's know? it. You You're know, because so right. it's so fast. Growing. But it is a it is a nice looking but vine. You know, it's cypress like, vine. Yeah, like what he was just talking it, about. You know, the, this year I've had yeah. 40 feet of it. I had both Good white, grief. pink, and red cypress vine. Ooh. It was really pretty. I have never seen the pink. But this year, you know, I, I know that next year I'm going to have seed coming up big time. Are you going to do any, like put pre-emergent down or no, just let no, it? I, no, this bed, I, I I want other seedlings to come up. So oh, right. uh, this one, no, no pre-emerge, but I, I have no problem zapping them with Roundup. Right. So, well, so that's good. That that works. And that would too. be on your uh, your Facebook Mid South Gardening or? page at some point, Jim. You said <laughs> yes. Yeah, that'll yeah. be a list that I'm going to be adding to that. Oh, on the uh, Kibia, it's really crazy. You would think something that grows like crazy like that you wouldn't put in a, in a patio. But we would plant them on patios, but we maintained them. Sure you did. We yeah, that, And that's a difference. Yeah. A lot of people want to plant something and just forget about mm-hmm. it, just enjoy it. And that's not really gardening, okay? No. Yeah, um, that's true. Controlling a plant, 
mm-hmm. um, is, is just as important. Weeding is just as important. It's a part of gardening. Mm-hmm. Pruning is a part of gardening, you know? Yeah, and that it's, is it's, so it's not true. the pleasant parts like smelling and yeah. taking pictures that is all gardening. Right. You know? Looking there, at the bees and there the are other things. So Well, the, the where I was going also with that was since I had first learned about the Akibia of keeping it in check and all of that, I never knew that this other yard we went to, it grew up in a Japanese maple and around, and then I would find it over here, and it was a banana tree, and it was under everything. And I thought... Wow, what a difference in the micro environments or or how you're taking care of it. Mm-hmm. So so Akibia you've got on your list. Akibia will be on there. And of course, there's some that'll be on there that you can't buy in Tennessee, but you can't mm-hmm. buy them otherwise, like Eliagnus fruitlandii or Eliagnus mm-hmm. pungens. It, the thorny one, it'll it'll actually climb up in a tree. Yes, I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> so and, that's um, a different one than the Ebenjai, which is okay. you see, which is a hybrid from it and Eliagnus. Uh, Microphila, mm-hmm. that one is a, is good. Now it's still aggressive, and it grows so rapidly. It requires heavy pruning if you're trying to shear it. Mm-hmm. There is a hedge uh, on Bar- on uh, Stage Road right at uh, Bartlett Boulevard that is uh, it's it's just not Bartlett Boulevard, but uh, Brother Boulevard. Mm. It must be 300 feet long, mm-hmm. and they shear that thing, and they have to do it quite often because it puts up those long runners. Yeah. Yeah. But it but it is a uh, – I still like the way Iliagnus looks. Oh, it's great And plant. smells, you know, too, plant. in the fall. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're in bloom now. They're just absolutely beautifully fragrant. In fact, I had a lady who uh, came in at a garden center one time, and she walks around. Uh, at that time, it was Southwestern. Uh, Rhodes College, and she said, I, I, "Will you write a letter to them and tell them to spray these because they're silver on the back of the leaf?" And they thought they yeah, were diseased. Right, <laughs> yeah. everybody does. <laughs> right, they do. So, it uh, is a great plant, though. All right, well, let's go to another break, and um, we'll answer more of your gardening questions when we get back, or just entertain you one of the two. There we go. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We enjoy being with y'all every morning. Yeah, if you want to give us a call every this morning. Saturday morning. Oh, right. Yeah, I can't you. get them to do a morning oh, show every God. night. Yeah, just, you're trying, aren't you? Yeah. At 6.30 or something. Yeah, well, you know, that'd be great. Yeah. You know, just before get up at 5, do a little hour before Tim Van Horn here in the morning. We can do a, a morning garden show every day. You we, know, we love watching. each other because we only see each other probably once a right. week. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Can you Kenneth would beat me silly. If oh, I, please. <laughs> <laughs> if we started that in the morning. If you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. Two six or eight four four seven four seven eight eight six eight. You can go to Facebook 
on the Mighty 990 and then kwamradio.com. And I did have someone text and Don't forget in. our podcast. You can download those at uh, either either location, Mighty 990 or kwamradio.com. You can go to that and listen to all the past Lawn and Garden shows, and some of them are good. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, I'd have to say all of them are good. I mean, I have to listen to them sometimes. I know. <laughs> uh, Paige uh, Moore texted in, and we appreciate that, Paige. Uh, she said she just completed some dark work in the backyard, and the ground is bare. Uh, what would be the best grass to plant now? And their dog that they have is allergic to fescue. So fescue is out, guys. Mm-hmm. And they want to plant some seed back there now because they got bare ground. Well, I wonder if they were using fescue because it wasn't a shaded area. Well, it doesn't. Some, I mean, but this time of year, your only two choices are going to be fescue or, or rye. Or clover. Or clover. Yeah. Or clover, sod. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if they're going to sod, but she's saying mm-hmm. seed. Yeah. True. Um, yeah. But, you know, I would, if your dog... If your dog is allergic just to fescue, that would surprise me if, that he's not allergic to all grasses. To other grasses. You mean you know? like ryegrass right. included. Yeah. Um, mm. So I would consider clover if, That's you know. Now, what would happen yeah. if, they, if she sowed red or white clover now? I mean... What do we think? Probably would come up here because because that's we, what that's the deal. That's She's got bare dirt out there mm-hmm. right yeah, now. It, you might sow a little annual ryegrass in with it. Yeah, you know, um, and try it. Yeah, uh, but annual ryegrass is cheap. I mean, you you, you can sow yeah. the area and, and and just see. But I would be a little bit concerned that the dog may be allergic to and, it also. All right, but let's yeah, just that's say what I was thinking. Go ahead. No, I was just oh. gonna say. <laughs> you say <laughs> if the if the dog is not allergic to ryegrass yeah. then you can overseed it with rye it's going to come up in no time and just know that it's going to burn out next summer mm-hmm. now if you plant clover like you said jim uh, which i love you know white or red clover let's say if it even if it doesn't come up now uh because I, it, it assumes that I think she wants grass out there because the dog goes out there and right. probably gets really muddy so ryegrass mm-hmm. is going to be the way to go but I'm just saying for anybody out there that is planting clover, uh, if it would come up in the spring, mm-hmm. cor- uh, correct? And then when would it die out? Well, again, it would depend on if it's sunny or not. Um, it does fairly well in in dappled shade. So um, if it got really hot into August, you might see it fade. But I think as soon as it cools down, it would green back up. Yeah, because I'm you know I've never planted clover. Yeah, I've never before. done it as a turf. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. You know, about when they plant too. it on the on the right of ways, they just mm-hmm. seed it, they let it go, and they don't have to they don't worry about mowing it or anything because yeah. it only gets you know like a red clover ten twelve inches tall. Yeah. But there used to be there was clover lawns before we started into the grass thing. But I'm thinking I do I think I want to start a patch of clover to see. Because I'm wondering that too. Does it fade out for a little bit yeah. and then come back up? I don't. Cause and it will it come back, back up Jim, naturally. every year? I mean, yeah, it should just reseed. Yeah. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But for Paige, uh, if you know your dog's allergic to fescue, then the only other, other grass that <clears throat> you know you can sow this time of year and have any success with is going to be just the annual ryegrass. And so, if he's allergic <laughs> to fescue what are the possibilities of ryegrass i'm sure yeah. the vet would tell them you know yeah. um, but ryegrass would be the way to go and then go back in there and resod mm-hmm. you know next year as soon as you get your hands on some sod depending on how much sun or shade you get it's going to be bermuda or zoysia so sounds like some work to me yeah and then a question guys um and i wrote this down in my notes last night is you know we're always talking about you know things to plant and then baby you mentioned some things maybe not to plant and jim did too 
Uh, what about, what do y'all think about Alberta spruce? You know, a lot of people will buy Alberta spruce this time of year. They'll put them in containers because they look like a little mm-hmm. miniature Christmas tree. And they'll put their Christmas lights on them. And we know that Alberta spruce love cool weather. Yeah. Uh, but what is, what is the, some of the secrets or the keys in trying to keep Alberta spruce through the summer months here mm-hmm. in the Mid-South? Well, I am telling you right now something that happened that surprised me. is a dwarf Alberta spruce in a five-gallon container. Mm-hmm. It's been in that container for at least two years now. The I mean, container bucket, that it came in. The container that came in. I had it sitting out in full sun mm-hmm. all summer. And I'm beginning to think it's uh, don't water so much. It's the drainage usually that kills okay. them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they'll tolerate full sun. That's not mm-hmm. an issue. Um, and they'll tolerate heat as long as the the drainage is perfect. Um, and you I know. guess out of a container, but, you know, it's perfect. I, yeah. I tend to, you know, and I've told people this for years, you know, if, if something has the name of Colorado mm-hmm. or Alberta or northern know, names Alaskan in Winter. the name yeah. you know there's a reason <laughs> that we shouldn't plant it in Memphis <laughs> you know but you, so many people do because they love that little yeah. miniature and I can show you some beautiful ones there's a there's a blue spruce not far from my house been there 20 years uh, it's not very tall, mm-hmm. but it's out in full sun. Yeah. It faces south, yeah. uh, but it's on a on a really steep slope, and and it's absolutely gorgeous, you know. And I thought mm-hmm. the, when I saw it the first time, I thought that's going to be dead in a yeah, year. Right, yeah, right, exactly. But and then you'll see a few well. Fraser firs around here, so you'll see some of these things. So mm-hmm. I guess the key with the Alberta is whether it's in a container or in the ground. I think containers are really the best way to go. Uh, because you got Mm -hmm. really typically good drainage in containers, is to make sure that you've got really good drainage and make sure they got us. You know, it's it's one of those things where you can't let them dry out. Nope, because they'll get spider mites. But you can't keep them too wet, you know, so. We were just getting enough water to them, not too much. But just enough. I'm a little more confident in wanting, because I like the Dwarf Alberta look. So I'm a little more confident in getting them now since I've experienced how this could really work. And if you got them in containers, what do you all think about if you've got a big container that has one hole in it that's not even the size of a quarter? I don't feel like that could drain well enough. Because it's such a little drain it well but i guess you could just so you're gonna put rocks on the bottom yeah i sure didn't say that you know i wouldn't have i I think it would be better to adjust your soil then instead of putting the rocks at the bottom then adjust your soil to drain you just need to have a a really well drained soil i think one hole in the bottom you know it's plenty as long as it can't be blocked by anything well especially if they're up on like pot feet you know that helps also but um you know we've seen you know water back up into Mm -hmm. containers before that have typically drainage you well if think. they're up on pot feet that will make them last longer in the winter because a lot of times if they're on the ground it's it freezes better and um your pots can crack so up on the uh, pot feet your water's definitely getting all it, drained and moving out oh man i mean and there again with heavier containers like concrete uh i promise you i've seen concrete setting on a flat concrete mm-hmm. surface it's got a big drainage hole in it, mm-hmm. but that thing is filling up with water. Yep. Right. And I'm like, you know, how? But mm-hmm. it, it happens. So any pot that you can get up off the ground sitting on pot feet, 
uh, by default, I promise you, you're increasing the, the drainage up for mm-hmm. that pot. I mean, you can use bricks, rocks. Pot uh, feet. Two by fours. <laughs> You know, if you don't want to go out and, and buy pot feet, there's you can get pot feet that look like feet. And Vane, I thought about you last night also. And Jim, you mentioned you were talking about feeding the birds uh, last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading something and they said, you know, it said pine cone uh, bird feeder. And we'll talk about this when we get back from the break. But I was like, this is something pretty easy that anybody yeah. can do. Oh, good. Yeah. Can't wait to hear that. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Good morning, Miss South Gardeners, and welcome back. And we're going to go to Steve, who is patiently held while we just blabbed away over here. And good morning, Steve. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. How y'all doing? We're doing great, Steve. Good morning to you, buddy. Appreciate you hanging on. Yes, sir. Uh, I missed what he, Jim, Mr. Jim was talking about at Southwestern. What you say about Southwestern? You were Southwestern walking around at the Southwestern, which used to be called... It's Rhodes uh, College. Yeah. Oh yeah, when it used yeah. to be Southwest, yeah. But what were you? What were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about Ely Agnes. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there was this lady who lived in in um, that little subdivision there. I can't think of the name of it, right by the school. And she would walk around the campus, and she saw the Ely Agnes growing. And uh, she apparently had written several letters to the college about the d- diseased plants. So she came into the nursery I worked at, which was right down the street, and she said, will, will you write a letter to them because they're not responding to me? I said, well, there's nothing wrong with it. You know? <laughs> it's supposed to be silver on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> so so there know. was nothing wrong with the leaf of the Iliagna, Steve, you know? Okay. I, I just I'm, I missed it, and it piqued my curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks oh, for calling, no my friend. No problem. Yeah, thanks for calling. Oh, my goodness. Okay, hey, let's go to David. Good morning. David, you're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning, team. Good hey, morning. Mr. Dave, good morning to you, buddy. I wish you would sleep in like one Saturday morning, but we're glad <laughs> you don't, okay? Can't do it, brother. I know that's right. What's going on uh, today? Anyway, uh, I was listening to uh, your show and earlier, and you guys were talking about ryegrass. And, you know, I have a, a good stand of uh, zoysia, so I thought about, you know, I might try that out this year. But my, my question is, if I've already put dimension down, is that going to interfere in the ryegrass? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great yes, question. Yes, it is. Yeah, if you put that pre-emergent down, and a lot of people do this, you cannot come back and put fescue or, in your case, ryegrass down. It will keep every bit of that seed from coming up. And, that, oh, okay. uh, and Dave, in that pre-emergent that you put down, it's going to have at mm-hmm. least a 90-day residual. So for at least 90 days, sometimes up to 120 days, you cannot come back and put any seed down, including ryegrass. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I heard that. So okay. Dave's going to have to live with that beautiful dormant Vader, like, zoysia. Yeah, yeah. And Vader was talking about uh, she likes that ryegrass. Yeah, it is pretty. I it do is like pretty, it. but it, it does cause you some issues because where that seed germinates, it opens up just a I've little bit of space there, Yeah, and you're going to get weed seed to get in there. So you'll have mm. more weeds the following spring if you're overseeding with annual rye. And the, mm. only, the other thing also, Dave, it will slow down the green-up process of the zoysia. 
uh, in the spring. Uh, you know, okay. if you've got ryegrass growing in that uh, in that zoysia, not saying don't ever do it, uh, but mm-hmm. it, it, it when that of course when the ryegrass starts to die back, you know, usually around mid-May when it starts mm-hmm. to get hot, uh, that zoysia it's a little slower coming out of dormancy with that ryegrass on there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you really yeah. want green, there's some really good turf paints. That, that you can, I'm serious. <laughs> that, <laughs> that makes it easy. That just, you know, for 30 bucks or so for a gallon, <laughs> just paint that sucker. Yeah, I've got some. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, but stay away from the grass seed, Dave, if you've, got that, if you've already put that pre-emergent down. Okay. Hey, listen, love your show. Y'all have a great weekend, and go Tigers. I hear you, Dave. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for the call. Well, the other lady that we recommended uh, ryegrass from, weed four, we didn't tell her anything about the weeds. I've heard that before, but I I haven't noticed it, but I've heard that, or, or like with aeration. You shouldn't do that because it opens a hole for weed seeds. That's true, and it destroys, if you've done a pre-emerge, it destroys mm-hmm. the pre-emerge barrier by using uh, uh, an aerator. Right. I don't have to use aerators because I use organic products, which keeps my soil a little bit more loose. And I had, yeah, go ahead, babe, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, and I had Diane, uh, she te- Diane Lyons, she texted in, she said, uh, we had a patch of volunteer white clover and it choked out the zoysia. We dug up the clover, and now I missed the bees this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll keep the clover contained. So what do y'all think about having volunteer white-blooming clover uh, coming up it. coming up in mm-hmm. your Bermuda or zoysia lawn? Oh, that'd be a little difficult, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the clover. It would be kind of difficult because you work hard to have your lawn looking good as well. Maybe I would have a little bit less lawn and dedicate a clover spot. What that do you think, Jim? Mine. Well, it doesn't bother me, you know. I, I used to be like you, you know, on a perfect <laughs> lawn. Uh, you know, I'd mow it three times to get that pattern that I wanted. Yeah, you know? I want to yeah. do it twice. Yeah, and, and then sometimes <laughs> I would just, you know, oh, after I'd mow it, I would go back and take a broom and wipe out the tracks so that it oh didn't my. look like it had been mowed. And I, I don't yeah. know what happened to you since then. <laughs> I know. Smarter. I got a more realistic view of yeah. life. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, but if you see a little clover growing out there, it doesn't, it, really it doesn't bother, bother me. You know, I've had, I had asters come up this fall, you know, just little tiny plants with purple flowers. You know, and, and the, the insects love them, and that's okay. I'm, and we know I'm that okay clover is a great bee attractor, and it's also a good pollinator, right. you know, or, or pollinator plant. So, well, I'm still going to go with some ryegrass. I do like it. Um, um, we have Wendy Johnson also. Uh, Johnson uh, want to know, would it be a waste to apply Super Thrive to uh, newly planted pansies? Never a waste mm. using that product. Right. You know, when, when you read the label, you'd swear it's snake oil. It's mm-hmm. just um, in... in you know, I knew the guy who who in, invented it. Of course, if you'd ever been to a trade show, everybody knew him. Yeah. Um, and he, and he lived to be like a hundred and something before he <laughs> finally he drank drinking that super yeah. Dry. yeah. It um, has hormones in it. We would never tell anybody to do yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and I, and like I, said, I, I first found out about it from John Naka, who's a, was a master bonsai master here in the U.S. And and I could only place we could get it, we could order from place in California back then. That was in the seventies. And it's, and what is it? Just a highly concentrated liquid of hormones and vitamins yeah, yeah it, it smells like baby vitamins the, the old abdex stuff the cod liver oil um and um 
it's turned around some plants I thought were going to die. Yeah, it, it, I do. I've seen know? that. I mean, yeah. they call it the plant reviver. I bet if he had called it organic, nobody would have bought it. Yeah, probably not. But it's at um, the time anyway. But the yeah. beauty of uh, and Wendy, absolutely, the beauty of Super Thrive is a liquid that you dilute with water. You can put it on anything and everything, anything that has a root system on it. It's good for it. That's the first. Actually, that is you know? the very first thing in types of nutrients that I bought when I first started gardening, first got in the industry. That was the first thing I bought and uh, been using it forever. And I mean, that was like in 89 oh, yeah, or something. Oh, yeah, it's been around for a long time. Yeah. And, we, and now we typically recommend Super Thrive more as mm-hmm. a root stimulator, yeah, right? Yeah. If, if a plant's going south on you, you know, you can try to revive or it with this. Or even north. If it's or, going or north, north, you can or, do or when it. Or you know, when you transplant something or newly planted plants uh, is when we typically use Super Thrive. But it's perfectly fine to use on pansies yeah. for root development also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to have that. I agree. Well, I don't have a whole, a big line of every type of product that uh, is available to use, but I carry like the... <laughs> Just what you really, really need. And Super Thrive is one of them that I, I have. Yeah. And it has seaweed mixed in it now. So more hormones to go with, you know, growth hormones, rooting hormones, all of the above. And so do they really do any good? Oh, see, uh, see, that's next week. No. <laughs> I don't know. Ask people. And we'll people. talk a little science behind that. Yeah. Ask people. <laughs> we'll be back next week. We've enjoyed being with you this weekend. Have a good week.